How do you follow that? Wow. Thank you, Carrie. You blessed my heart. When John the Baptist came preaching repentance from sin and repentance towards God, one of the things that he told the listeners was that they should bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. One of those fruits was the fruit of compassion upon those who were needy. And so I want to give you two opportunities to express compassion to the needy as I enter into the message today. Joe, bring the first slide up for me if you would. We have a project in Ecuador to build a bathroom in a community. Um, we take bathrooms for granted. How many of y'all have one? Everybody have one? Well, people that don't have one, it's a pretty big deal. And so the government of Ecuador has uh, donated, the local government near the Sachel has donated all the material to build a, a literally state-of-the-art, ADA-compliant, Americans with Disability Act-compliant uh, bathroom in the jungle. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. And they've donated all the material, and they just need somebody to build it. And so we have a group of guys who we have a very small window. That window is October 1 through 12. It costs about $1,900 for the whole trip. That includes your airfare and all of the things that you'll need on the field and any hotel stay and any food, everything would be in that. Harry Eagles, where are you, Harry? Okay, stand up for a second so folks know what you look like. Harry will be in the lobby right after church, and he'll meet you. Listen to how glorious this is. Harry's recovering from a major stroke, and God has made him able to make this trip and lead this trip And as part of his uh, getting better. So this is a real joy. We've got several guys who are thinking about it, a couple of guys who've signed up. He'll be out there, or you can take that little tear-off in your worship guide and just say, hey, I'm interested. Contact me. Give me a, an email address or a phone number. You can either give it to me or give it to Harry right after church. Next much bigger project is coming. This is the Water Project, November 7th through 20th. This is uh, the Bua community you see here. The community will be putting water into. Um, we're building a filtration system for water that will serve about 135 to 150 homes. And we'll be connecting a number of homes to this system. And there's a lot to be done in that time. Similar cost for it. Tim Adam will be in the service. Where are you, Tim? Are you here, Tim? Tim? Tim's gone? Oh, he's counting. He, today he's counting, so he's, he's not here. Uh, but you'll recognize Tim. He's the guy who's not Harry, standing in the lobby waiting to talk to you. Uh, so uh, uh, come and talk. We would love for you to participate in this. Now, there's three ways you can be involved. First is going. We want you to go. We actually would like... A lady who would like to go and cook, join Charlotte in the preparation of meals for these teams. It would be an awesome opportunity to spend a little more than a week with a missionary and what goes on in mission life there in the jungle. It would be an awesome opportunity. And then we need men who would come and work on this trip. This labor is going to be very hard, so guys, uh, very demanding. Uh, we would love for you to be able to be there. And also, if you're a member of Kingsville, remember that the uh, Sarah Thompson Mission Fund will pay half of this listed trip cost here. And that's a beautiful thing by the generosity of our congregation. So this is a way to bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. You can go or you can give. 
Maybe you can't go and you say, hey, I'll support somebody. Use that little tear off and say, I'll support somebody uh, in going or I'll support the trip um, and I'll give. And then the third way, of course, is we always need you to be praying for the Sachila, for our folks as we go and bring the gospel to them. So as we step into our text for today, join me in Isaiah in a challenging message that we're going to walk through. Um, I've watched um, over the course of my ministry and then at particular instances during my ministry as people have responded to sin either in their life or in the lives of others and have noticed that the church seems to have two polar mistakes that it makes in dealing with sin. Uh, One polar end of that is um, a graceless condemnation where we write people off in a very cold, graceless, unchristian, unchrist-like way. And then I've seen at the other end of the spectrum, the other pole, the opposite, is a truthless affirmation of people who are in sin, and both of those are wrong. Whether it is a graceless condemnation or a truthless affirmation, Jesus came to us in grace and truth, and therefore we must know what those mean in the context of sin and the context of repentance. Remember that Jesus' first message was repent. John the Baptist's first message was repent. Peter's first message was repent. The Apostle Paul's first message was repent. This is at the heart of all New Testament teaching is the call to repent from sin towards God and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to walk through biblical repentance from the book of Isaiah And I wanted to break it into two parts, and you'll see those two parts. The first part is the need for repentance. So let's start there. I'm going to move swiftly so we can kind of hit those most urgent points as we move on through. So we begin with... Joe, take me to the the slide about three slides back. There you go. Thank you, Joe. Good job. Here's why repentance is necessary, and and we're going to get into the need of it. The fundamental proclamation of sin stated by the actions of the sinner is this. Now, this is important. This is what we say when we sin. And I'm going to show you why we say that and how we say it. Go ahead, Joe. What we're saying in sin is this thing is better than God. That's what all sin says. This thing that I'm sinning with, sinning for, or sinning by, is actually better than God. It's better than obeying God. It's better than trusting God. It's better than depending on God. It's better than what God offers me in Himself and in His provision. So fundamentally, the reason sin is what it is, and it is an offense against God, is that we are making a proclamation about God in sin. This is why Romans 1.18 says that God's angry about this. God's anger about sin is that sin is always a lie. It is a lie about God. It is a lie 
about the thing that we're choosing over, above, or instead of God. It is a lie. And therefore, the reason repentance is necessary is it is, repentance is a restatement of God's value. It is a statement of His supreme worth above what I have pursued wrongly. And so that's why when we get into Romans chapter 1, this is what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Now this is the thing that I want to get to here. How are we suppressing the truth? When I sin, I am suppressing the truth about God by saying this thing is better than Him. I'm hiding the truth about God through my desires. And the reason God is angry about it is I'm lying. And I'm lying to myself and I'm lying to others. So when I choose to sin, what I am doing is I am making a very public or very private that may become public statement that this thing is better than God. And I am suppressing the truth of God in my unrighteous act. So that I am deceiving myself and I am deceiving others. And God is angry. His wrath is revealed against my sin because my sin is a lie about Him. So we step into the need for repentance. Go ahead, Joe. Thank you. The need for repentance, we look at in chapter 39 of Isaiah. So join me there. Excuse me, 29. Throw those numbers around. Uh, 29 of Isaiah. And I want you to look at the need for repentance. We're going to start off by looking at their sinful condition. Now something's going on in Isaiah, and, and it's going to flesh itself out in a minute, but the judgment of God is on its way, and they're in big trouble. And that trouble is such that God is calling them to do something to remedy the trouble that's coming. But they have a hard time listening. And so their sinful condition is revealed to us in verses 13 through 16. Um, but I want to focus primarily on this point, verse 13. Look in Isaiah 29, 13. The, Lord said, because. I want you to take that word because and I want you to set it off to the side because it's going to, because it's going to become really important in a second. Because what God is saying is, I'm about to do something and here's why. This is the because of what's coming. And so the because is very heavy because what is coming is based on what He's about to reveal to us. What is it? Well, it's broken into two parts under letter A, their sinful condition. First part is the pretense. Go ahead, Joe, give me about two things. Go ahead one more time. The pretense of their habits. Look at what's happening. Because this people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service. This is the pretense of religious habits. God knows when we are pretending. He knows when we pretend at church. He knows when we pretend at the office or at school or in the home. He knows when we're pretending. 
And that it's very easy to fall into religious habits that become nothing more than pretense. Where we're pretending to be something on the outside that we're not. And that's where we get to the second part, the distance of their hearts. The problem here in verse 13, it says that they remove their hearts far from me. In other words, what's happening is with your lips, with my lips, we intellectually sort of affirm things about God. We sing Amazing Grace and we sing and we read the Bible and we post on Facebook and we post on Twitter and we talk about God with our lips. And intellectually, we're kind of affirming these things, but affectionately in our heart, we're a long way from Him. And He knows it. And that means that what we're doing is actually pretending. It's pretense. And God is very upset about the sinful condition of mankind. That's what's happening. But then He says there's something worse. So come to letter B. Their lack of contrition. This is true about them. They're kind of hiding things and doing one thing on the surface and another thing on the inside. And and listen carefully. Everybody's guilty of this. I I hope you're not kind of trying to find who it is you'd like to get on to about this. The Lord's bringing this because it's true about all of us. And so the second is the lack of contrition. So you go to chapter 30, and we're going to kind of walk through from there this lack of contrition. And listen what happens. He says in verse 8 of chapter 30, Now go and write on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. This is the kind of passage that the Apostle Paul says these things were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, these are the kind of things that New Testament believers are supposed to go back and really ponder because they're true about us as individual humans. He says their lack of contrition is marked by several things. First, verse 9, They're rebellious and they are false sons. Sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. In other words, we're pretending to be God's children when we're really not. There's pretense. I'm pretending to be the child of God, but really in my heart, that's not who I am. The prodigal son is a very good picture of this. He made pretense before his father that he is his son, but then his heart was far from him, and then he finally demonstrated it by all of these things. It was pretense. Take a look here. He says in verse 10, "...who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right." In other words, the lack of contrition is marked by not wanting people to tell you the truth. Please hear this. If you're at a station in life where you do not want people to speak truth to you, you are in great need of repentance. If you're at a place where the last thing you want somebody to do is lay out the truth to you and say to you exactly what the Bible says about you, you're in trouble. In fact, it says, I don't want to... I don't want the seers to see and I don't want the prophets to prophesy what's right. But listen to what it is that they really want. 
Notice he says, speak to us pleasant words. That's chapter 30, verse 10. This is an important phrase because it shows up in other places in the Old Testament. The word is smooth. And it's used in the description of the adulteress's enticement in the book of Proverbs. It's used of the words of the false prophets in other passages of the Old Testament. And it means, tell me what my sinful heart wants to hear. Don't rock the boat. Don't ruffle the feathers. Tell me what I want to hear. Speak to me smooth words. Another translation of this in other places is when somebody is heaping false praise on somebody. It's a gimmick that Satan uses to entice you into a comfort with yourself that is false. And so here he says, don't tell me the truth. Tell me what I want to hear. And then he says in verse 11, this is the the, the word of the person needing repentance. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Don't talk to me about the holiness of God. This is sort of what I call the mantra of today. I think that there is an abusive misuse of the word grace in the modern church today. Because what we want to do is we want to say to people, here's what grace does. Grace doesn't disturb you in your sin. It comforts you in spite of it. That is not true of biblical grace. In fact, biblical grace, we sing of it in our hymn, Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to and grace my fears relieved. And so true preaching of God's grace identifies grace as a necessary component because law has condemned the sinner and stated his or her need for repentance in order that grace may be applied and remove the fear. And so... This lack of contrition is marked by not wanting to hear the truth, but wanting somebody to talk to me about grace without talking to me about what grace really means. And so, there's a sinful condition, there is a lack of contrition, and then, letter C, there is an impending condemnation. This is why the preaching of repentance is so important. First, the sinful condition of people. Second, the lack of contrition that we have in our sinful state. And third, the coming condemnation, the cataclysmic judgment of God. Look in verse 13 of chapter 30 and listen how he unfolds it. He says, Therefore this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant. He's picturing it as a wall that's kind of tilting, it's kind of crumbling, and all of a sudden it falls on somebody and brings instant ruin. And it's scary. Then he gives another picture of it. He says, it'll be like the smashing of a potter's jar so ruthlessly shattered that a sherd will not be found among its pieces to take fire from a hearth 
or to scoop water from a cistern. The, the Old Testament Jews were great recyclers, and when they broke a big piece of pottery, they would take the pieces of pottery that were kind of rounded out, they'd use them as water dippers, and they'd use them as, as things that would scoop out. You would go to your neighbor's house and you'd say, I need to borrow a couple of things. I, I, I need a, a, a pint of oil. I need a cup of flour. And could you lend me some fire? I mean, since they didn't have matches, they'd go to their neighbor and they'd have a shirt of pottery and say, could you put a few hot coals from your fire on this? i got to go restart my fire. It died last night. And I don't want to go through the trouble of all that it takes to make a whole new one. Could you just leave? And so they'd put that in that broken piece of pottery. And Karen, he said, this shattering is going to be such that there's no big pieces left, only little tiny sherds, little tiny sharp pieces that cannot be reused or recycled. And so this coming condemnation is very similar to Jesus' words. When the people came to Him and said, Jesus, did you hear about the tower of Siloam that fell on those people and killed them? Jesus said, do you think that those guys were worse sinners than you are? I tell you that unless you repent, you will perish just like them. Jesus, did you hear about how Pilate's men came to those people who were offering sacrifice and slit their throats and mixed the blood of their throats coming out with the blood of the animals that they were slitting the throats of so that the blood of humans and the blood of these animals all poured out on the altar? Jesus, did you hear about that? He said, do you think those guys were worse sinners than the rest of the people? Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus' teaching follows the Old Testament pattern Paul follows Jesus, Peter follows Jesus, in that this is the call to salvation, is there is a clear call and a need for repentance because you, without repentance, stand under the condemnation of God. And that you, without repentance, are in a sinful condition, and without repentance, your lack of contrition is actually storing up wrath for you. This is very important. There's this glory that comes, and so we move to the next part. And here's the glory, it's the nature of repentance. And I think this is the heart of what I wanted to share with you, and just going to walk through it and share with you this beauty that the Lord gives us in this. Starting in verse 15, we're going to look at letter A, the design of repentance. Now, I've added a few words here that uh, are not in your outline, so if you grab your pen and fill these next in. First, there are no exclusions. Look in verse 15. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. The sinful nature of all mankind necessitates that all mankind needs to be saved. And the mechanism and manner that God has made is that you must repent. You say, what is repentance? Throwing that word around, what is it? Well, let me give you an idea of all it entails. Let's imagine that you meet me at the uh, Walmart parking lot where the gas station is, and you run into me. And uh, you say, hey, Bart, what you doing? I said, well, the family and I, we decided we're going to run down to Panama City Beach and we're going we're gonna to go see my sister. And uh, so we're, we're going to go down there and we're going to hang out a while. 
And you say, oh, cool, okay, that's where you're going. Yeah, that's where I'm headed. And then uh, a few minutes later, you passed by my house. And I had actually left my house, went to the gas station, and returned to my house. And you stopped by and said, hey, I thought y'all were going to Panama City Beach. I said, you know, we changed our mind and we came back home and decided we would rather be here this week than in Panama City Beach. And you would say, oh, okay, wow, that's, that's weird. But I said some things in that statement that help us understand repentance. First, we changed our minds. There is no repentance apart from a change of mind. That's why the New Testament word for repentance is to change your mind. Metanoia. To change. Metanoia. Your mind. That's the New Testament word. We changed our mind. And then I said, and we returned home. The Old Testament word for repentance is return. It means to go back somewhere. It means to go toward that place to get back to it. And so we decided and changed our mind to return home. Okay? And then I said one more thing about repentance. I said, because we decided we would rather be here than in Panama City Beach this week. Two of those things are mechanisms. One is the mind is changed. Two is you've gone back. But the third thing is a matter of affections. We're there because we prefer it. Repentance in the Bible has all three components in your relationship with God. It means that you've changed your mind about what you're going to pursue with your life and find your satisfaction, your joy, your fulfillment, your hope in. You've changed your mind. In changing it, you've decided to go back to your Creator who made you because He is the source of it. But you can't do that without affections. If you do not desire God above those things, you cannot repent. Because if you came by my house the next day and I was simply sitting at home looking at pictures of Panama City Beach, and complaining about being home rather than being in Panama City Beach, you would begin to say, Bart, you got a problem. Your repentance is fake because it lacks one thing. It lacks your affections. Your longing for the beach when you said you would rather be at home. And so your repentance, Bart, was a lie. This is very important. God is not asking you for religious activity that makes you look like you like Him. God does not need propping up. God wants you to love Him in such a way that your abstaining from sin is your statement that you prefer Him above all else. 
and that He is gloriously preferable, even if nobody's checking behind you. And so what's happening here is that there are no exclusions of people who don't need to repent. In the New Testament, the command to repent was given in the Greek in a, in a, in a very important form called the present active indicative, excuse me, present active imperative. It means to go on repenting. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It is a lifestyle. It is a daily battle to prefer God above all other things and to constantly turn my heart away from those things. It is an on and on and on thing. And so there's no exclusions. Second, true repentance has no excuses. Notice in The second half of verse 15, it says, In quietness and trust is your strength. Why quietness? Because repentance is never blanketed in an excuse. You can't say, well, I repent, but here's why I sinned. You see, I sinned because... And we start making excuses for our sin. We start blaming other people, how they've treated us, what they've done to us. We start blaming our circumstances. We start blaming all kinds of things. Rather than owning up, here's why. There is no excuse for sin, my brothers and sisters. That's why it says in the book of Romans that there is a day coming when the law will speak to all of humanity and every mouth will be closed. Do you know why Jesus was prophesied in Isaiah 53 as a sheep is silent before His shearers? Do you know why? That Jesus was prophesied to be silent? Because He could offer no excuse for our behavior. Because neither can we. We are sinful because we want to be. And we can't excuse it. So the need for repentance is always rooted in there are no exclusions. This is all of humanity. Everybody needs it. And there are no excuses in quietness and trust. Quietness means there is no excuse for what we've done in lying about God. There's no excuse. And if you think repentance is you wailing out a bunch of tears and excusing what you did, it's not right. Our repentance is the ability to say, I, Bart Walker, am a complete idiot. And there is no excuse for how I have acted in the sight of God. I have to come to that place. You say, isn't that a little harsh? I was watching a little video the other day. And um, it was a little kid taunting a little lizard. Have y'all seen that video? Where the kid's taunting the lizard and he keeps tapping the lizard on the nose. And it's a pretty stout little lizard and he's got a hold of it and he keeps tapping it. And the kid's about, I don't know, four or five, six somewhere and he keeps tapping and tapping it and just just provoking it, provoking it. Finally, about three minutes in the video, that, that lizard, he's timing that finger, man. And that finger comes down there and this lizard goes, chomp! And the kid gets up, man, and the lizard's flailing. Ah! And that lizard is not letting go. Listen, there's no excuse for that kid, how he was treating that lizard and why it bit him. There's no excuse for the times you have privately or publicly taunted God with your behavior. There's no excuse. And you know what I said of that kid in that video? I said, yeah, that kid's a complete idiot. 
And do you know what I said of Bart when Bart looked in the Bible and saw the inexcusability? Bart's a complete idiot. There's no excuse for how I've treated God. There's no excuse for the sins in my life that have lied about Him. And so, next, also in repentance, we have to understand there's no escape. Look in verse 16. You said, no, we will flee on horses. In other words, listen carefully. There are people who think that grace allows you to get away with stuff. Are we all tracking with this? There is this preaching and teaching today that preaches that grace lets you get away with stuff. That is not biblical. You cannot flee from dealing with repentance. He says, no, we will flee on horses. The Lord says, you shall flee. We will ride on swift horses. Therefore, one who's, those who pursue, pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one man. What's he saying? Your lack of repentance is going to produce in you an anxiety that will worry you the rest of your life. And therefore, repentance is going to necessitate that I say there's no getting away with this. I have to deal with it. And finally... Under the design of repentance, there's no, excuse me, there's no exchange. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I want you to go back to verse 15 because I want you to see where, where repentance is engaged. The very last line in verse 15 says, but you were not willing. What does that mean? Repentance is not emotion. It's not you saying, oh, I really look bad. I'm really embarrassed. I'm really, that's not it. Repentance is not some kind of public display uh, in Jeremiah of sackcloth and ashes and Isaiah of sackcloth and ashes and bowing one his head like a reed. It's not that at all. Repentance is an engagement of this core place of your being. It's an engagement of your will. He says, but you were not willing. What God is engaging in repentance is your will. Because your will follows your highest desire. And if your highest desire is God, you will engage your will to Him and you will turn from your sin. You will do it. If God is your desire, you will engage your will to Him and you will turn to Him. And so it is the engagement of the will. There's no exchange. You can't exchange emotion for this. You can't exchange some kind of of religion for it. You can't exchange some kind of deed for it. It is the engagement of your will turning back to God. But look at the beauty of what's next. This is the glory of this whole passage. So this is the desire for repentance. Look at God speaking to you in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Did you know that's what God's doing today? He's he's just, he's up there in heaven, sitting on his throne, Jesus at his right hand, and he is longing for something. He is longing for a real, intimate, true, no fakery fellowship with you, his creation, through Jesus Christ. He's waiting to have compassion on you. God's not up there going, man. I can't wait to get a hold of that one. If he wanted a hold of you, he wouldn't have to wait. If he wanted to smack you down, do you think you'd be here? No, you wouldn't. The Bible says that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. In other words, the reason you're not already in hell is because he's good. 
And He in His kindness is prolonging that moment of condemnation so that you would see His kindness and know that He just wants to be good to you. He just wants to pour compassion. Look at what it says there. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. That means to give you better than what you deserve. He longs to have compassion on you. That means to tenderly take care of you, even though you've spurned Him, even though you've rebelled against Him. You've toyed with Him. He longs to be good to you. And there's nothing like the cross that says that. The cross is God's ultimate declaration of the call to repentance. He is saying at the cross that He loves you immeasurably, infinitely, and that He wants you to experience that love. And so here's God longing to be gracious to you, waiting on high to have compassion on you. That's His disposition. That's His desire. That's what He's doing right now. What's God doing right now today? He's longing to have compassion on us. He is waiting to be gracious to us. That's what He's doing right now. And so you know what repentance does? It runs us up to His throne so that He can embrace us. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The father saw him afar coming down the road and it says that the father ran. That's God's disposition towards you. You head toward Him and He'll run toward you. That's His love. That's the cross. That's the glory. No place more displays God running to us than Jesus leaving heaven, coming here to die for our sins. That's God running to us. And so... There's this glory. Well, what does it bring? And this is the final part. Let her see the delight of repentance. You see, all that comes out of repentance is good. All of it. It's glorious. So it's broken down into three parts. The first part, y'all don't have in your outline, but I added is God's attention. The delight of God's attention. Look in verse 19. Oh, people in, Jer- in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When He hears it, He will answer you. When you come to that place of repentance and you cry out, God help me. God save me. God, forgive me. And from the depth of your heart in true repentance, you have turned And you've changed your mind. And you've changed your direction. And you've placed your affection on Him. He will hear your cry. And He will answer you. That's His desire. But notice next, not just the delight of His attention, but the wonder of His revelation. Look in verse 20. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression. In other words, while you were not repentant, you were suffering. Notice what happens. He opens your eyes. He says, your teacher will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Here's what repentance does for us. Listen. It lets us see Jesus as he really is. A loving, compassionate, serving lamb of God who dies for our sin 
It lets us see Him in His glory, in His love, in His mercy. When we truly repent, God opens our eyes to see how sweet Jesus really is. How loving, how patient, how gracious He really is. And your teacher, you will see Him. But not only will you see Him clearly, you'll hear Him. Look at what happens there. It says, in your ears will hear a word behind you. Verse 21. This is the way. Walk in it wherever you turn to the right or to the left. This is glorious. Not only will you see Jesus as a sweet Lamb of God, saving, redeeming, carrying, shepherd who loves us, but you will also hear from Him. And He will begin to guide your steps and say, this is the way to go. Trust me, go this way. And that means the Word of God will begin to speak to you as never before. The Spirit of God will begin to speak to you as never before. The church of God will begin to speak to you as never before. And as the church and the Word and the Spirit come together in your life, you'll get clarity about what you're supposed to do with yourself. And He'll guide you. And finally, this is the capstone of all of it, the delight of a new affection. Look at what happens. And this is one of those marks that is so clear. He says in verse 22, and you will defile your graven images. What does that mean? It means the thing you used to chase that messed you up, you will hate it now. That thing that's been enticing you and really getting you off track, holding you in bondage, twisting your logic, twisting your affections, that thing, through repentance, through knowing that God hears you, through seeing clearly who Jesus is, hearing clearly from Him and His Word, things will begin to clear up. And do you know what will happen? You'll begin to hate the sin that held you in bondage. This is one of the marks of true repentance. That we have our affections changed. And suddenly we love God more than things. God more than sin. God more than pleasures. God more than temptations. We begin to love Him more. And what has happened here? Look in verse 22 as he, as he lays it out. He said, you will defile your graven image overlaid with silver, your molten images plated with gold. You will scatter them as an impure thing and you'll say to them, Be gone! you'll finally be free of those things that because you wouldn't repent have held you in the bondage of their affections. He will begin the deliverance process where you now will hate the things that destroy you. Listen carefully. There's a passage in the book of Jeremiah that lays out repentance, and I want to close with it. It's a few pages over. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2. I want to call something to your attention and then ask you to respond. Jeremiah chapter 2. It's a wonderful message from Jeremiah. He says, you guys have forsaken the fountain of living waters. And here's what people said. Here's what they said. How have we forsaken Him? How? And God calls them out in verse 18 of chapter 2. And I want to read it to you. 
And then I want to ask you a very important question. Verse 18, But now what are you doing on the road to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or on the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Here, God was saying, I am a pure fountain of living water. You left me, you've gone and you've trusted Egypt and you've trusted Assyria to deliver you, to save you because you're in sin and judgment's coming and so you're trusting in these other things. You're going to drink their water because that you think will satisfy you. Listen carefully. God knows your road right now. No matter what is going on on the outside of your life and whatever anybody else is seeing through your religion, through whatever you do, God knows what you actually desire inside your heart. He knows. And He is personally calling you out with these verses. And He's saying, what are you doing on the road that leads away from God? What are you doing on the road seeking those things you've been seeking? What are you doing on the road desiring those things you've been desiring? What are you doing on the road that leads away from Him? And He simply says, Repent. Would you bow with me? Let's go back to my story. You met me at the Walmart gas station. And uh, I said, we're going to to the beach. Then you met me at my house. And... He said, what are you doing? I thought you were going to the beach. He said, oh, no, we, we, we think we'd rather be here. And then about two hours later, you happened to be down around where 190 comes together with 49. And you found me at the gas station there getting a cup of coffee. And he said, hey, Bart, you're confusing me now. You tell me one thing, uh, and then you tell me another, and now the truth is I found you on the road to the beach. What's going on? For some of you today, you've told people one thing, you've told God one thing, but the truth is, you're on the road away from God, and He knows right now. He knows exactly on you the map where you are. And He sent me today to talk to you because He loves you. And He wants to be gracious to you. And He is waiting on high today to have compassion on you. And He sent me to meet you on the road you're on and to simply say these words to you. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. And go back to God. He sent me because He loves you. And He knows where you are. Would you go home today to God? Just forget all the religion and the lip service. Forget about what everybody thinks. And just go home. There is a loving Father at the end of the driveway 
who's waiting for you. Who will welcome you. Who will fall on your neck and kiss you. Who will place a ring that is not the ring of a slave, but the ring of a son. He'll place a robe that is not the robe of a slave, but the robe of a son. And He will throw a party over you. Because He loves you. Oh, sinner. Come home. Jesus is tenderly calling. Calling today. Oh, sinner. Come home. Would you? Would you stand and come home?